what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How you guys doing? Uh, don't get the flu. That's really big today. You know, I'm not worried about getting the flu. And I know you're not worried about getting the flu. What I'm worried about is getting stuck in some building somewhere with a bunch of people because I really don't do well in large groups of people that I don't choose to be around. And I will, I will, I will wind up, they will murder me. That's what I'm actually afraid of dying from being murdered by people being sequestered, be quarantined because of the flu. So, uh, just, you know, do what you can. Do what you can. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, anyway, today's a great day. We have um, this really this really special, fabulous, fascinating guest, and her name is um, Teresa Buckmeister. <laughs> uh, no, Boot- I'm not. But I always fuck up everybody's <laughs> name. Don't we? Oh, she's laughing. That's a good sign. What? What is it? Uh, it's Buchheister. Buchheister, who's the artistic director of the Brick Theater. And we are just meeting for the first time, which is so cool because that's always it's always very exciting to get to know somebody. We'll all be getting to know her together. You guys and me. okay? so so stick around. Make sure I don't like fuck it up. And she walks out in a huff because that could happen. You you know what I'm like anyway. So this is really important about the drive to five campaign, folks. We've been doing this. We. We are we are really um, trying to raise twenty five thousand dollars for our by the time by May, which is a lot, a lot of fucking pressure here. We're under a lot of pressure. And it's not just about, you know, like an arbitrary amount of money like we all want to keep doing this. And um, it's really important. It's really important to to us, of course. But I think it's a major thing. For all of our communities that are involved in these sorts of things, because we need each other. It's a total, you know, it's a total, it's a, it's a small world after all, uh, which it's not funny. It's, I'm, I'm being sarcastic and that's not good. Uh, no, but sincerely, uh, you should, it would be great if you could make a small donation or a monthly donation. And uh, the easiest way to do that is just to text RFB gives uh, to 44321. That's RFB gives five. I got it now. RFB gives, so it's Radio Free Brooklyn gives. That's what it's saying for. RFB gives five to 4431. So please do that. Please, please. Please, I'll, like when I have some money, I'll help you, okay? I mean, it's really important. It's not funny and uh, whatever, okay? So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be rich. We're gonna yeah, be rich. yeah. <laughs> so hi, Teresa. Hello. Um, thanks so much for coming in. It is so great to meet you. I am a huge, huge fan of the Brick Theater, like a long time since they started fan the Brick Theater, folks, is one of those places that is really the soul of what New York and creativity stands for. They do very, very, very excellent quality and very innovative work, stuff that doesn't also doesn't make a lot of money, stuff that we are lucky to be living in New York in this area to be able to see. So if you ha- if you are not familiar with the Brick Theater, 
I implore you, you are definitely missing something. So the Brick Theater has been around a long time, what, 2004? Yeah. 2004? I know my Brick Uh Theater history. But only recently it's been taken over by Teresa. There was a huge article in the New York Times. She's been interviewed everywhere about it. So, um, but here's the thing. Okay. So this, this show, this session is about Teresa. It's not about like all her, all her accomplishments. We want to talk about her because there's just, her accomplishments have been covered. Look at the times, do your own fucking research. (laughs) And, uh, we want to, we want to, um, talk about like, she's an artist on her own. We need to focus on her work. And developing her work too. So this is for her. But I, before we get started, I want Teresa. Will you give us a little intro to you? Like, talk about your own. Like, you have your own business. You have your own business and what you do and your involvement in the brick. Ooh, okay. okay. But wait, we're in <laughs> you know briefly. It, yeah, oh, I'll do <laughs> my very best. In an hour. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyone who knows me is like Teresa. Brief. Good luck. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff going on. So the brick, uh, I've been a fan of uh, Michael and Robert and everyone uh, who's running it for so many years. Uh, and sometimes in order for something to continue, uh, it has to move into a new phase. And so I was very uh, fortunate to know them well enough to say, could we talk about me just taking it over? And then uh, and then that happened. That was all of 2019 was us figuring out what that means and how to do it. Uh, and starting January 1st, I took over the space and the programming is what I've brought in uh, with my team of curators who are amazing. And it's sort of being run with a, there are a lot of things that uh, still exist about the brick that if you loved it, then you'll love, I unquestionably, you'll love what we're doing now. But I come from a background of running, uh, helping to run uh, downtown theaters in Manhattan that no longer exist and DIY music venues and combining those two mindsets and all of the stuff that I've learned over the years is sort of what we're doing now. So it's longer runs of theatrical productions that load in and sort of transform the space and unique one night events that are multidisciplinary, bring in uh, a lot of different communities and they're, they all make sense to me. Well, I think what you, you actually are, um, the fortunate heir of a uh, ship that that's going, that's running instead of like those guys had, a, you know, it was a long time ago. They were like, we were all a lot younger, but they had to get the whole thing off the ground is clearly an established theater. And so you're able to probably bring in like a bigger, you know, a fresh vision and a big thing. And, but you're still the same part of the same line the yeah. same dna dna line and you have a fresh energy because uh that was crazy how much work that was for everybody oh my goodness i mean and it always is and that's the okay. thing that like people need to know is there's always a lot of work so um just tell us before we really get into it tell us mm-hmm. briefly about you have your own you have your own theater company and how you make money yeah so well the way that i make money is not my theater company but i have uh, had my theater company since 2006, Title Point. Uh, and we do things with disturbing frequency uh, because we have so many ideas and they all feed into each other. And uh, we never want to stop. Uh, another thing that sort of 
helps me. So, so much of what I do is based on a structural necessity and then also uh, artistic impulse. But I uh, struggle with depression. And one of the most uh, difficult things when you're a depressed person is when something ends uh, and you feel that it's an ending instead of uh, just the way that things are. So I never, I always have things going on simultaneously, including our title point projects, so that when something ends, there's always immediately something else that I'm already working on that I already care about. And it doesn't compromise how much I care about any individual project. Uh, it just allows me to not bottom out. So there's that. <laughs> so that's a coping skill. See, that yeah. was one of the things like um, if you really look into um, Teresa's biography, like there's she's got like a crazy amount of output in so many different places. So I want to get into that and find out where she came from and how that developed and how that's what about, you know, where that shows up in her work and stuff like that. Um, I didn't mean to make it sound like she's not like she, I, I'm impressed. Okay. She does voiceovers <laughs> like at a very high level, like, and she makes, you know, that pays really well. So she also has that going on. That's what I want you to know. So Teresa, let's get started about like where you grew up. You you came from Kansas, which mm -hmm. is so weird. <laughs> uh, I come from Manhattan, Kansas, which That's is even, even weirder. weirder. Um, Bridget Everett's from there, though. We don't know each other. Bridget, if you're listening, <laughs> um, I would love to know you. But uh, yeah, Manhattan, Kansas, it's the Little Apple. Uh, and it's an interesting place because it's not... Everyone's like, did you go to the bathroom in an outhouse? And I'm like, no, this isn't like depression era, like dust bowl stuff. We had the Kansas State University is there. Fort Riley military base is there. So there are a lot of people coming to this sort of remote so is it like location. a small city, but it has it's culture. A town. It has culture. It has culture because there's a school. A college? Yeah, it has more culture than a town of its size that doesn't have a college. Okay, we'll say so that. it's sort of like, and uh, but it's not, you wouldn't call it even a small city? No. no. Okay. How many kids in your high school class? Uh, in my high school class, I think there are 500 kids, but we only had one high school. Mm -hmm. So we were all in the same school. I think it was like 2,000 kids. Oh, like elementary the... school would have been? Uh, elementary school. Oh, man, I don't even How remember. How many elementary? Like, like there's probably like 10 elementary schools. Yeah. That got it. Uh, what about, um, what did your parents do? Uh, so they both worked. Uh, and my dad, when they started having kids, I'm the middle child, obviously, uh, how many? Um, of three. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, uh, because you're good at getting along with everybody. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, middle children, I'm, I'm also a Libra and I feel like middle children and Libras just like sniff each other out and you just know. Uh, mm. But there. Yeah. When my dad, when mom and dad had uh, my sister they sort of had to make choices to support their families. So my dad went from working at the uh, Institute of Baking to Doing... become baking. Oh, he was my he, parents he... actually met working at Pizza Hut in Hayes, Kansas. That's adorable. Yeah. And what were they doing there? Uh, my they... dad was a manager and would, uh, you know, do the dough pretty much. And he hired my mom as a waitress because he thought she was cute. Uh, and it like worked a movie. out. I know. Or I think that's a movie that's been made many times. Yeah, we don't need to see another hetero <laughs> love story, but it's very sweet. 
that is cute. But yeah, so my dad left doing that to work at the university, uh, Kansas State University, uh, as an accountant for the oh. foundation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he got his degree in business. And so it made sense. And he'd worked there for 35 years uh, because it paid for health insurance for his family and uh, was pretty stable. As soon as he could leave there, he did. And he went to work for Blackbaud, which is a software company. And it meant that he got to travel and train people to use a software sort of like, um, you know, he'd come the Boys and Girls Club in New York and various libraries and universities. And so for the first time in his life, after 35 years of working in the same office uh, and wearing a tie every day, he got to travel around. Oh, that's fabulous. And then my mom did a million things. So I didn't know that some of these things were jobs because uh, kids don't think about money in the same way, but she'd clean houses, which is also a job that I've had. Um, But I thought she just did it for fun for her friends. (laughs) And uh, no, in reality, she was like cleaning houses as a job and I would just come with her. Did she not want you to know that? I don't know. I don't think that she kept it a secret, but I think that maybe in my mind, I thought of a job of as going to an office. Ah. And so it seemed not like a job. And the houses were cool. <laughs> so, and, and then the, she was and also. She had a good relationship with the homeowners, right? Yeah. So it probably felt like they were her friends. It's a very personal relationship. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're up in people's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny though. So you would go with her? Yeah. So you were the entertainment for the for the house for the house owner. I mean, I loved exploring. I was always obsessed with uh, books about houses when I was little. Like Ellen Raskin always wrote about houses, including her apartment on Gay Street, which is one of the first places I visited when I moved to New York. Because oh, wow. I was like, I gotta go see Ellen Raskin's house um, and Narnia, and like, I mean, anything that. Uh, you know, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basile Frankweiler, like all these stories that had houses in them. Mm. I was obsessed. So, so how many kids in your family then? Is it three? Three. So my older sister and my younger brother. Oh, so you're the middle one. And um, so how was your family dynamic? What was that like? Uh, it was uh, always evolving. Um <laughs> My sister and I did not get to long when we were younger, but she's going to be here in two weeks. And I'm really excited. We're friends now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growing up, it was very much a study in contrast. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, you know, she's in therapy now, so maybe she can tell me. Uh, but I was like the weird one. I dye my hair and I pierced my eyebrow at church camp with a awesome. safety pin. At church camp. Yeah. That's pretty rebellious, right? I would wear like, I'd buy shirts by the pound and wear ties as belts and it embarrassed her. So she, I also never learned how to drive. Uh, so she wouldn't give me a ride to school because I was embarrassing. <gasps> um, and did your parents know that? Mm-hmm. And what did they say? I just walked to school though. I like to walk everywhere. No, but still. It was it was weird, but they also we did not get along. So like, what was your sister like? uh, She was really beautiful and and athletic, and her friends were all like the uh, like cool. She felt I know now like one of the lesser of the cool people in that cool Uh group, but she was legit cool, right? Um, And And she'd wear brand name clothes and. she was in the the show choir as the pianist, which I played wow. tuba, so it was a very different vibe there. <laughs> wow! As a, so, she was talented. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but she was uh, like she was. Her creativity like she, wasn't encouraged. 
You was know? your was yours? Was mm. creativity and valued in your family? Because I'm just saying, like, oh, I, totally. The clothes, clothing you that you rattled off, the wardrobing, <laughs> the way you wardrobed yourself is obviously like the heart and soul of a creative person. So I think my parents were confused, but they didn't try to stop me doing what I wanted. Did you have any creative examples in your family? Like, was uh, a big one for me and. Uh, my mom is very creative and she writes poetry. My dad uh, practiced guitar every day and is now an amazing guitarist. Oh, like, wow. okay. it was just a thing that he did, um, mm-hmm. with no, like, I'm going to start a band or whatever, but now he has a band, you know, 60 oh, cool. years later. Um, but yeah, creatively in my family, my big one was my uncle David, my mom's older brother. Your mom's older brother. And yeah. where did he live? Did he live um, around you guys? Did you see him often? <coughs> He he lived in uh, Garden City, Kansas, which okay. is close to Dodge City, which is where my mom is from. And um, same state anyway. Yeah. Still a pretty long drive, uh, mm-hmm. pretty dull drive for a kid. But <clears throat> oh, I just got a little tickle. Now it's gone. Um, but he was a, a painter oh. and very creative and smart and did not really like get along with the other cousins like they're all sort of like a black sheep type. uh, yeah and did you feel like a black sheep yeah well with your sister it sounds like i mean and it's any create that's scary (laughs) i'm just i can't take it i'm i'm like a mat i'm this is me personally i'm counter i'm having a counter transference moment here (laughs) but i'm imagining like what your sister might have been like to your older sister that that is scaring me well it's a, you know that's just me i think another option is that i could have wanted to be like her and try to emulate her cuz i see that also with siblings mm-hmm. um but i didn't i just like because there were so many other things like I, I you know told my parents when we were buying a christmas tree that i didn't believe in god you know so religion was a big part of your family oh yeah um just tra- traditional like Christianity or that was also sort of weird because my dad was raised very Catholic. He went to a Catholic military high school. Uh, All of his brothers are and his sister's husband are military guys. Um, And they're super Catholic. And then my mom was Protestant. And I didn't know this till many years later, but it really rubbed my dad's mom the wrong way that my dad married a a Protestant Mm. and some unkind things were said. And I was always like, Oh, it's, you know, we just don't hang out with grandma Bukeister, you know? Oh, and they never told you. Mm. It sounds like there might've been some secrets or there weren't a lot of stuff. There was a lot of hidden stuff in your family, maybe. Or just things that I guess to them, they didn't feel were necessary to talk about. And it's like, I might think it was necessary to talk about that, but I get where you're coming from. Uh, but yeah, we were raised in a Wesleyan church, which is just essentially like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basic, basic Christian stuff. So were they all religious and you weren't perhaps? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Were you really, how, how, how did you know, like, were you like a kid going like, this is bullshit? Why they weren't, why you were uh, Jonah, to- Jonah and the whale. I was just like scientifically impossible. I just don't buy it. And when I asked questions in Sunday school, uh, they were not received well. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't really understand that. And it just bothered me because I, 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 the contrast, I guess, for me at that time 
was school where I was always very close to my teachers. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I, and I know that when I asked that question about Jonah, it's when Mrs. Young was my second grade teacher who was incredible. Like she would bring me books from her own library because I had already read everything at the school. And uh, she was so tough and she wasn't the cool second grade teacher, uh, Uh, but she was the best. Right. And she enjoyed students who were inquisitive who wanted to know things. And then mm-hmm. I was getting this huge contrast at church where it's like, shut it down, don't answer questions, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. or answer them with a sort of bizarre rhetoric. And so I just didn't buy it. I mean, I struggled a lot because I, I wanted to be accepted by the people in the church because I liked a lot of the, the human beings, but mm-hmm. I didn't believe the same thing that they believe. I just have to say there's like an hypocrisy there, right? Like um, I know the pain of being left out and being an outsider as a lot, as you do, you listeners, you're all fucking black sheep. Come on. (laughs) I know it. Uh, So I know that pain. And I mean, it does it, you know, you learn how, I don't think it ever goes away. I think you cope with it. I mean, I don't think it ever goes away though. I really don't. I think it's something that, through therapy, I've learned how to manage. <laughs> well, and I think it can also inspire, you know, I mean, it's difficult, but I also, I mean, you said before we were on the air, but uh, that some of the most interesting people come from surprising circumstances of yeah. like a super religious yeah. house in Kansas. You yeah. Know? No, I mean, uh, it's great. It's great if you, but if you want to be a depressed artist, like you yeah. said, <laughs> we're all struggling with depression too. So, uh-huh. I mean, it's great for that and productivity and stuff. So um, anyway, so I'm getting that your sister was uh, also, your sister and brother were also religious. Is that right? Well, yeah, they super were. Uh, and and my sister still is. And, and she's incredibly kind and uh, smart and generous. She's a teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. Where does she live now? She lives in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh-huh. And so she wound up being a teacher. She married and has kids. Does mm-hmm. she have a fairly conventional life? No. I mean, in ways, yes. She got married uh, to an awesome dude, Kirk, right outside of right out of college, mm-hmm. which I'm just like, how did you even, how are you still together? But they're both really uh, good human beings. Uh, and they adopted their son when he turned 18 because they started fostering him when he was uh, 13. And the reality of life for a foster kid is we turn 18 and you're untethered. Right. You have no one. You have no one that cares about you potentially. Right. And so it was a really hard decision because most people don't do that. And right. they made they made that choice knowing that it'll break their hearts over and over and over again. But, uh, you know, they love Joe and I wow. love Joe. And- that's pretty evolved. Yeah. I mean, that's super evolved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I'm surprised I never they started fostering a child at when he was 15. Uh-huh. What I what what happened there? Uh, So my uh, she teaches kids with emotional disturbance. So ah. she doesn't even she doesn't teach like English or Spanish or ah. anything. She teaches everything to right. uh, kids that have a lot of PTSD and trauma. Um, And, you know, Joe, Joe had very unfortunate uh, childhood where his dad murdered his mom and then mm-hmm. killed himself in front of he and his siblings. Mm. And uh, Whoa. the foster system so big. really fucking failed his siblings. Uh-huh. And so when my sister met Joe and saw what was going on, she was just like, I can't 
not register this. I can't just pretend that everything's okay. Oh, wow. Is that kid okay? Or He's doing, he, I mean, when I first met Joe, uh, like he didn't really look me in the eye or anything like that. He was just on his phone a lot. And, uh, and now, you know, he jokes, he, we hug each other. We have a good time. And he's, yeah, it's been really good. But yeah, but it's also, yeah, I mean, he's obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that your sister wound up working with emotionally uh, disturbed or whatever um, difficult. I mean, it's great. I love that she did that. I mean, I admire that enormously. Do you think that has anything to do with your childhood? Potentially. I mean, I do think that everyone has the everyone changes and people have the capacity to uh, like move past the the things about them that were shitty when they were younger. Well, what what do you mean by that when you say she, everybody changes? Well, I mean was just she, by was she not a, she's obviously an emotionally generous person. Yeah. Do you think that that's a reaction to the way she was when she was growing up with you? I think potentially. I I know that she uh I'm the, curious about yeah. what you guys like um I'm curious about what your, did you have con, you were obviously, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a big, by the way, folks, I'm a big believer in like that siblings have a really big influence on your life and in many cases can have a bigger influence in your parents. Not, not a family dynamic to be ignored by any shrink. You shrinks, you shitty (laughs) shrinks. There's any shitty shrinks that don't agree with me because I'm right about nothing. Um, So, and I have no training. We know that. So the thing is, is that, um, and if you don't believe me, ask Kim Gordon, because I audio booked her book, her bio, and her brother is the biggest influence on her life. And I learned a lot from that about, so, so I'm trying to understand the relationship with your sister. So did she, did you guys have out and out conflicts or what was your dynamic like? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, our relationship has, uh, changed a lot. Whereas my relationship with my brother, uh, with my sister, I'd say that there was a turning point for both of us where uh, any hurt that I had experienced, uh, whether as a result of her or other things that became sort of uh, conflated with her, mm-hmm. um, my ability to uh, understand those things and and forgive and also, you know, uh, sort of move past other because it wasn't just that. You've forgiven oh, so many her. Things. You yeah. have forgiven her. You and then she also have. had a turning point where she realized uh, that she didn't necessarily. She she acknowledged the things that she had done and the 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 hurt that she had caused me. So, so did you guys have a conversation like a really mm-hmm. like there was like a come to Jesus, pardon the pun yeah. or whatever. There was a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Do you want to? Uh, Tell us about that. I mean, I think that it was also when I moved uh, to New York uh, in 2004, she had just moved to Lawrence, Kansas, where I had gone to school. Um, And I think it was sort of at that point where the seeds were getting sowed. And I also wasn't like the best sister. I was a terrible bridesmaid. (laughs) She told me I couldn't dye my hair, so I shaved my head. Oh. Like I was that, so I I definitely pushed against it as yeah. well because I was hurt. Yeah, uh, and so I you think could that Photoshop it, and hair. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say. 
So, um, yeah. But yeah, we had this moment, I think, that before I moved to New York and then I guess another... When you moved to New York, that changed the dynamic? Yeah. So what I'm still not... I mean, you know, I don't want you to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but I'm just kind of curious a little bit more about like what the dynamic was. Were you having like when you were in growing up, did you have out and out arguments? Did she, did her friends gang up on you? Did she, did she make you feel like, were did you just, I mean, she, you said she was like idealized, you know, or she was beautiful and probably a convent, I'm guessing unconventional in a, in a great high school desired way. And uh, did you feel I mean, how did that make you feel? Did you want to be that? Did you resent that? Like, where, mm. what, where, where, what was, like, what was really going on there, do you think? Uh, I mean, there are a few things. I think that when kids are really young, because we shared a room for a very long time. Uh-huh. And shared a bed for a while. And then wow. around the time where I was in third grade is when I think we split our room in half. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this very sort of, like, creative, almost sitcom kind of way. Uh, and, you know, we were friends we would do we all sort of fit into our roles but we'd do a lot of like plays in my grandparents I basement forgot how much older she is she's a uh, three and a half years older okay. than me and my brother is a year and a half younger okay so you guys would do plays that's probably yeah. your beginning of theater so all so- that stuff was fun and we play in the yard and we'd have adventures but then at a certain point uh for her where i think that like and who knows what the switch was that flipped there is maybe like interest in boys uh, when your friends start to like actually be cool and not everyone's just like scrounging kids in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. You get there and you start to, she became a person who from my perspective was more interested in like, you know, wearing bikinis to the pool and like that sort of, she became more superficial. Yeah. Or she, you guys were developing and she was developing towards more superficial things and you were developing probably you have a real creative instinct. So. Well, and it's, it's superficial, but it's also, I mean, but that diminishes like, I I think some, some of the, the traits that go into caring about how you look. A lot of people care about how they look and it's not necessarily a bad thing. We all do in ways. No, of course. Um, but her friends were cool and rich and, you know, it was just uh, the vibe shifted. And then we we left rooms. We I kicked my brother out of his room, which devastated him. He wanted my mom to, like, paint the flowers from his wallpaper onto the walls of his new room because he's, he's a very emotionally attached per- person to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a lot of collections. It, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a very... Uh, deeply emo he would cry when i'd get punished you know Aww. so he's like a very Aww. sweet wow sweet kid i stole his room so that mindy could have her own room and i think at that point that's when the real rift started to happen i started to become more of who i thought i was and she started to become a, more of who she thought she was and me i'd like you know i i struggled i had braces i had glasses i was fat like i uh was really smart and I wanted to just demolish Andy Knopp, my uh, sort of childhood nemesis and every geography B spelling B <laughs> competitions. And I really related to that. I wanted to get all like book. It was a thing where you read four novels and you'd get a free personal pan pizza. So for like a fat, smart kid, it was just like fucking heaven. You're, you're oh my God. Uh, wow. So I went more in that zone and she went more in this other zone right. and it just created these like, massive rifts and then my brother 
um, he was really funny. The like he was, I don't know who he was trying to emulate, uh, but he he was a little bit mean for a while because he would basically tell like friends of mine that they were going to hell because they were gay. Um, and he regret like, Oh my gosh, he had a real come to Jesus moment about that. He, but it, he was just regurgitating information that some of his shit friends were saying. Hmm. Um, and, and he, he didn't really know. And then when he found out that he was hurting people, that's where he started to change. He was like, Oh, uh, when he started realizing yeah. the effect he was having. But he was always really creative. So he was always hanging out with all these like queer weirdos. Uh, but he would also like carry his Bible to school with him. Right. So he was conflicted. He was conflicted. And, yeah. He didn't understand. And it was probably scary. Yeah. Um, it actually sounds that um, a little bit to me, like perhaps you and your sister just kind of had natural, um, just naturally gravitated towards different things. I guess like you. You know, if you're a beautiful young teenage girl and that's who you I mean, who's going to like not get into that? I mean, that's so I get I get that. And then um, teenagers are mean. I can see how that could happen. Yeah. Teenagers are just mean sometimes without, too. It's just without like, any judgment on her. I can yeah. see how that and then you they weren't like Stephen King bullies, like carving like mm-hmm. uh, terrible things into my chest with a knife, you know, uh, but and then you're hurtful. you're you know, you were talented at um things that took um, intelligence and achieve uh, uh, intellectual achievements. And I could see how that could set up just a natural kind of tension, no matter what. Well, Uh, she was really, and she was smart too. So that, that hurt her feelings in the same way that it hurt my feelings that uh, people would be like, Oh, she's so beautiful. And why don't you do more stuff to be beautiful? Like your sister and da, 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 da. That's horrible. you that's know, horrible. Just, it, I hope people aren't. That sounds like so last century. But but uh, then also people would just assume that she wasn't smart because she was beautiful. Yeah, and I she clearly was smart. Yeah, I could see that too. So I'm also wondering about your parents because where their role is. I I am um, wondering if they intervened at all with you and your sister. But I'm also wondering how is it that you could just go in and steal your brother's room? Well, it was a a discussion, but he didn't really have any choice in the matter because he was the youngest and he got a really cool room downstairs. He just, and I have no idea why I didn't take the downstairs room. Uh, But I think that for me, my favorite room in the house was the upstairs bathroom because I could lock the door. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think for me, that was a big thing is like I need to be close to that bathroom, which I'm just like, how did that conversation really go? I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure that's what I put my foot down about. Mm -hmm. But the room downstairs was way cooler. (laughs) Oh, so there wasn't a reasonable. He didn't have to go live in a cupboard or something. Right. Right. So your parents weren't were involved then oh yeah mm-hmm. and and they wanted everyone to be happy but they also knew that not everyone would be happy yeah there's no, only so much yeah. you can do um so how did you wind up coming to new york um i always you know i remember being in grade school and having one of the like school photographers be like uh oh you you want to move to new york I, because i wore vests and hats a lot i tried to dress like buster keaton as a kid mm-hmm. uh and so i just always felt like i don't have Belong here, though I do love going back to the Midwest now. Uh, but I was always itching to get out. And when it came to schools, that was the first time that I really like had to understand money. I worked in high school, 
mm-hmm. and in junior high uh, and and paid for things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and but school was so expensive. And I was like, what is this? You got to be crazy. My parents can't pay for that. And I don't have that money. So I guess I'm going to a state school. Um and I know that there are other options there. I could have been like, mom and dad, mortgage your house. But I was never going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to the University of Kansas mm-hmm. and had a lot of really great things happen. And a lot of really terrible things happen. It's college. when you were really interested. Were you interested in theater and writing and all the things that you're doing by by that point? Did oh, you yeah. Know, did you know like that that was your your path? I think that in my mind, I I didn't know what. A, a job would look like, but mm-hmm. I knew that like, Still don't, a, really, yeah, right? do <laughs> what does a job look like? Ah, uh, but, but I knew that I loved theater and that I wanted to do theater. And that was like, mm-hmm. so you had that yeah. direction, which is great. And then anytime I, I think I really wanted to be a performer. So the one thing I regret is not taking business classes in college, but <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You know that. Yeah. I wanted to be a performer, so I wish I'd taken some business classes. Just to like learn a thing or two. Uh, Is but that I something also, you feel you're missing? How to, oh, I've uh, learned it over time. Yeah, just not like, at all. Yeah, right? I've had to learn by you're doing. businesses. Yeah. So, um, okay, so. But I could have had, had a leg faster. up. Yeah, you could have had a leg up, right. But we were required to take uh, design classes, so I learned how to use power tools and light mm-hmm. boards and mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and all those things. So that came in really handy to me as like an additional skill set that sure. actually pays. Um, and so, I, so you wound up getting, yeah, you could work with, I got that. a lot of work doing. So, had, so you just kind of knew you were going to come to New York. So senior year, I started to like cast my eyes around. It was still pre internet. Like we didn't have internet in our house or anything. Mm-hmm. I think you can maybe like check your email at the library or right. something. I, I don't really recall, but uh, there were books that you could go and see like what places do internships. And so I sent letters to ah. the Folger theater and the public and a variety of places I heard back from the public is very sweet. They're like, Oh, of course you can audition for Shakespeare in the park. Um, <laughs> and it was like, really? Oh, and I was like, I'm going to go be in Shakespeare in the park. Cause I'm so good. Uh, but then I'd been encouraged by Patricia Barra, who is a professor at the University of Kansas for two years before she left and went to Brown. Mm. Because as a 31-year-old uh, Hispanic woman in Kansas, uh, she was just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> she was a brown sheep. <laughs> yeah. But she was hugely influential to me in uh, so many ways. Like so a many ways. You had like a mentor. And she, before I graduated, we came to visit New York. And uh, we saw opening night of the Foreman show uh, mm-hmm. that Richard year. Richard Foreman, folks. Mm-hmm. Richard Foreman. Look it up. Uh, Godfather Look it up, of the avant garde. No, if you don't know anything about theater, I mean, you really, if you don't know who Richard Foreman is, it means you don't know anything about theater. That means you're involved in other things. And I, I respect that, but he's huge. Uh, and it was cool. It was, a, But it was also this weird night because it was... Uh, the week that Spalding Gray went missing. Oh, and they I hadn't found that. him yet. I actually saw him perform like the week before at PS one twenty two. So and it was he, all in oh the conversation God, in that room because so everyone at opening night of a Foreman show is going to be like same you know, people, same yeah. club, same group. Right. Um, wow. And I saw that show, and I had read Foreman stuff before, but never seen anything because why do you get to see stuff? 
in Kansas. Uh, in Kansas. You're not going to see Foreman. Manhattan, Kansas. Buttfuck, Kansas. But another weird, and we'll loop back around, but uh, when I was in high school, the uh, head of the philosophy department at Kansas State University uh, started an experimental theater program for high school students in the 80s. So it's still going on. It's incredible. Fabulous. So because of that, and it wasn't just for theater kids. It was like uh, debaters, cheerleaders, uh, all mm-hmm. sorts of kids mm-hmm. would read the work of experimental theater artists, Lee Brewer, Richard Foreman, yeah. uh, Fornes, Shankar, mm-hmm. Gertrude Stein, uh, Mueller, Artaud, all these people, and we'd read their stuff, and then we'd choose a focus story and break into groups and rewrite that story, like Rumpelstiltskin, wow. in the style of Lee Brewer. Wow. And then we'd direct ourselves and perform it. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> <This is> so <laughs> cool. In Kansas. In Kansas. That, folks. Wow, that's great. So that was just like, I mean, my life would be so different without that. Right. Uh, but so I knew who Foreman was, uh, and... So when I was writing letters, Patty was like, well, you should just write Foreman. I mean, you could intern. I, I don't think I mean, you'd have to work 40 hours a week for no money, but like it'd be a good way to get mm-hmm. to New York. And I was like, mm-hmm. you really think I could intern for Foreman? So I wrote him a letter and he called and my house phone and said, uh, yeah, be be in New York on September 1st. Oh, my God. You just gave me the chills. And I was like, my whole world changed. And so I worked that summer. I worked 82 hours a week. I worked at a I worked graveyard shifts at a gas station. I uh, worked at a liquor store, a sandwich shop. Uh, I painted the outside of apartment buildings all summer. So my shoes melted. It was that hot. Uh, And what else did I do? And I had to finish one class. So I had like one credit that I had to finish. Holy shit. And then I made enough money to move to New York and be very poor uh, for wow. a while and and wow. do this Foreman thing. Wow. So, wow. So that must have been really life altering as well. Oof, yeah. Uh, and on the way from Kansas to New York, he fired or a dwarf quit or something. He had always had dwarves in his shows, like people that just wear like. Uh, you know, bloomers and uh, weird hats and sunglasses and stuff. And they'd move props around and they'd do a variety of uh, sort of, you know, choreography. Uh, and he was like, because I knew Patty Yabara, uh, she suggested that I do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can I still help build the set, though? And he was like, what? Why? And I was like, because it'd be fun. So I still was an intern for a couple of weeks as we built the set and the props and met some people that are some of the closest people to me still uh, and then got to be in the show. Wow. That must have been incredible. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And you must have gotten to know him really, really well. Interestingly, I I did. And we would stand in the lobby and sort of like look out the window and talk about, uh, you know, he was raised Catholic, but found out he was. Jewish when he was much older because he was adopted and uh and we and he'd be like oh the Wooster group has more celebrities going to their shows and you know just funny stuff but then at a certain point he told uh another friend Morgan Pacelli who's his producer at the time um that I was too comfortable with death and it that you yeah you Teresa was too comfortable with death what did he mean by how could you evaluate you know I'm not, I don't know I'm not that I don't really like them they're the they're too comfortable. They're too comfortable with death. <laughs> like, what? What is? What was that about? Like, 
Well, the legend has it he could hear every conversation within like a two block radius of the theater. So I'm just like, what conversation did I have that would lead him believe that I'm anything other than just like devastated by the reality of death? Like, I'm not comfortable with it, but I know that it happens. I know that it's coming for me any any second. Uh, I've had a lot of close friends die. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you you think there was a certain like a relative or a friend that had died that he might have overheard during that time or... I mean, potentially that seems so judgy, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like really unfair, like he overheard a conversation and then made up his mind about you? And then but do you trust the person who told you or does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I totally trust the person a freak, who told a little bit of a he's freak. He's a freak. Yeah, we're so, like, well, well and I'm, I'm a freak, freak too, so freaks. yeah. So he's a freak. So he might have a paranoia about that and then yeah. might, might have just like gotten his. So did you feel self-conscious with him then after that? A, a little that, bit. Yeah. It was just like, what does that mean? Like, do you, and you know, did you couldn't talk to him about it? Cause you, it was reported to you. Did, did yeah. that person, that person sabotaged your relationship <laughs> a little bit. I don't think so. You don't think they meant to. No, I think they were just like brought it up conversationally, but it, uh, you know, and I mean, we all have our, our preferences, but Foreman also definitely preferred, uh, he gave us all nicknames and my nickname was Kiki of Montparnasse, which was very cool because yeah. she fucking rules. Uh, but he also described her as like unattractive and earthy, but still somehow appealing is like how he described Kiki of Montparnasse. And I was oh. like, how am I supposed to take that? Uh, and uh-huh. then there are other like very like delicate. Uh, and this is a running theme in my life, which is probably why I need therapy. But there are like other women who were treated in a way because of their beauty Ah. Uh, and and it was a different kind of beauty than I had right and so I took that as like an insult um but also as Kiki it's like not an insult it Mm. just but it was he sort of meant it as one but it shouldn't have felt that way to me but it did so everyone's complicated. I learned so much about specificity and directing and composition and uh, layering and uh, philosophy from from Foreman. And he also hurt my feelings. Mm. You know, mm. there you go. No one, everyone contains multitudes, you know. Do you think that um, like he put you in a, let's say, a non-sexual box? Oh, yeah. But do you think that might have um, actually uh, facilitated your relationship with him? I think that uh, being able to uh, relate to people in a way that uh, is not sexualized has been very beneficial for me in general. Mm -hmm. And do you think that some of that has come from, I'm imagining, from being around your sister? Because what's really weird is that, uh, well, you know, uh, I don't. You know, I re- I relate to what you're saying, so I'm doing having some counter-transference in my own head. But the idea, I didn't have a sister, but the idea of actually having like a sex symbol, let's say, right next to you, no matter who you are as an average, say you're an average looking woman or maybe a seven and your sister's a 10, like that's like you're always in that role at home. Yeah. The non the less sexual one or the not sexualized one. And maybe maybe a person starts to cast themselves in that. Also, my roommates mm-hmm. when I moved here were like two of the most like strikingly gorgeous women. And so whenever we'd go out, it was just like everyone would just to them. And I'd usually end up talking to like the person over 70 at the bar, which is also my preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's uh, a lot of freedom in that, too. There's right? a lot of freedom in that. And I like and I've had. Uh, more sex than I 
is fair, you know, to yeah, a, an I, individual's I, I'm, life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm and I'm sure. down to fuck, but like, it's also never the thing that defines me. It's not what right. defines any interaction that mm-hmm. I have with a person. It's not the first thing that I want them to uh, think about when they think about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that I, I cast myself in that role in a variety of ways um, because that's where my values are. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. to say that's where my values are is not a judgment on uh, values being in another place. But yeah, those are your values yeah. for whatever it's worth. That's how I get up. So your and sister live. was really sexualized. Say? She was, but also like super Christian. So it was like also confusing in this way mm-hmm. of like, you know, I just remember her and her friend Allison, like wearing these tiny bikinis and just like parading around, um, but also wearing abstinence rings. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what America, I mean, I'm going to put society on that. Yeah. That's the pro- I mean, totally. you know, um, I don't think that that's uncool folks. Who's ever, who's ever promoting that? I'm uh, actually audiobooking the Jessica Simpson biography now. Oh, fascinating. So, yeah. yeah she, she, she's reminded. It, yeah. When you get cast story. that way as a young person, it's I, like, uh, I just yeah. finished a couple of harder books too. So it's <laughs> no trash. Judgment. I read, I read, I love trash. Judging myself. So, um, um, anyway, um, we only have 10 minutes oh my left. God. Can you believe this? And um, what I'm trying to do is, in my mind, make the connection. So you're this person that you're a leader. You you run communities in a very mm-hmm. natural way. And people are, I think, you're good at giving. Like, so I'm trying to, like, figure out where that came from in your, perhaps in your childhood, where you, you know, in charge of things. It's not just being in charge of things to be in charge of things that you, and you, you seem comfortable. You just seem comfortable when you have people that you're sort of, um, what's the word shepherding maybe, or what is it? You tell me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a few things. I mean, I think that a couple of them are, uh, very acutely developed coping mechanisms. Uh, when I was younger dealing with depression, tried to kill myself, oh. would punch walls, like do I would act out in that kind of uh like self-harm kind of ways. And uh but when I was younger I'd say, but the only reason that I don't actually just kill myself is because I love my mom. Uh and later when I was trying to like unpack what that means, uh I was like, I feel a responsibility to other people that I can acknowledge that I care about and that I love. Uh, and because of that, I won't kill myself even if I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, having uh, uh, people that I really care about is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care about everyone. There are some people that I absolutely despise. <laughs> um, but the the give and take of uh, caring relationships that are not even family or romantic or they're, they're collaborations, they're artists that you mm-hmm. believe in, they're people that you've come to know over time. Uh, all of those things are the the fuel that uh, helps me cope Maybe with they, being alive. So it really motivates. Maybe yeah. that's a lot of your motivation is those those relationships. Oh, I didn't turn my phone <laughs> off. I never get calls. This bullshit call. Um, and then I think there's also, I have a very um, heightened sense of justice, which is probably my greatest downfall in many ways, but also a a great motivator. And whenever I've been in a position where I feel like uh, 
something could be done better, people could be treated better. If I have any ability to affect change, then I'll do it. And that's why mm-hmm. I became a, a manager at the Strand. And I, mm-hmm. I wanted to treat those employees uh, with mm-hmm. respect. So mm-hmm. many other managers there, uh, I'm not afraid to say it, they would treat people terribly. Mm-hmm. They'd give them shifts that made their lives more difficult. Uh, they wouldn't give them time off to do their art. Wow. Like, and it's like, you're paying me like seven fifty an hour. Fuck you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as a manager there, I'd always talk to every new employee about like, who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, why are you here? And I know that to work at the Strand is not the end all be all. So why are you actually here? Uh, and then I would shape their schedule based on what they told me and mm-hmm. try my best to get the work done that I needed to get done, but also respect them as human beings. And that's really uh, important to me because I don't like seeing people just uh, disregard other people's humanity. So you're really a good advocate. Is that in that you're a good advocate for yourself or did you advocate for like your younger brother or where did you get that skill? Do you think Um, there's a certain fearlessness, a confidence? Yeah, I think that uh, part of it is is being observant and not. uh, turning a blind eye to things that I find troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but you also feel secure enough to speak up. I do, but I've <laughs> lost jobs because of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it can be a little righteous and I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, I was told years ago, probably over 25 years ago that my tone was uh, bad, uh, that I had a tone to my voice when I said things and I worked on that for a really long time because mm-hmm. I was like, well, but what I'm saying is right. right. <laughs> so because of that, it came off as like uh, rude or bossy or superior. And I was like, that's not communicating than anything that I want to communicate. If if what uh-huh. is being communicated is that I am elitist or superior, then nothing else is being heard. Right. So how do I adjust? Wow. Wow. Um, There's a lot of self-awareness there. We only have three minutes yeah. left, so um, I'm going to uh, tell people a little bit about Radio Free Brooklyn, and then maybe yeah. you can give out the uh, information about the Brick Theater so people can come there and see what, what's going on there awesome. before we leave. And your own website, right, mm-hmm. is what sells now? So uh, TitlePoint.org is for TitlePoint, and uh, BrickTheater.com is uh, theater with an E-R. Is and the brick. Is, yeah. And what? And oh, OK. So we did that. All and right. join the mailing list. Join it's the a mailing sick list. mailing list. We won't over inundate. But it's, it's the best way to. It's a great mailing list, actually, yeah. because um, the, the, the newsletters are fun. They're fun. That You know, we're very particular about having it be like in our voice uh, and not this like very stuffy, like, oh, I'm so professional. Mm-hmm. And it has photos from all the projects because we're constantly documenting. And a lot, of, and are a lot of them by um, Walter Ladarchik, who my... we love. Ah. Shout out Walter. Okay, so anyway, um, make sure you. Thanks for listening to Doctor Lisa gives a shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I'm here every Thursday, two to three. Next week is going to be amazing. We're going to have Kevin Allison, who is um, he's got like this. He's got this amazing show, Risk, and he's going to do a. Uh, a story on here and then we're going to psychoanalyze it which is going to be crazy so make sure you tune in for that uh, make sure you get to our drive to five fundraising radiofreebrooklyn.org uh, 
Um, and we want to make sure that, it, you know, we have a we have a really great newsletter, too, you know. So make sure you sign up for that, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org uh, slash newsletter. If you ever want to get involved with us in any way, pitch us a show or just meet us or volunteer. We have a million things you can do here. If you get on the newsletter, we have a monthly mixer you can find out about. We're going to have a big anniversary party in May. So uh, get get with us. We're having great programming this afternoon. Uh, after me is Lost and Rewound with Elon Danziger because we love Elon. He has really funny stories and his people play their old mixtapes. We've got Brooklyn Bandstand, local bands, Ben Talks, which is one of my favorite shows because I love Ben so much. He's he's He tells it like it is. He's like a really... So, so stick around and we have uh, two minutes left. Tell us more about, tell us like what's coming up at the brick and then we'll, we'll get cut off at some point. How's that? Oh, that sounds great. Oh man, I can cram in a bunch. So, uh, this weekend, uh, tomorrow night and Sunday at 5 PM is a dance piece that I loved so much that I saw and I was like, other people need to see this and I want to see it again. So can you please do it? Uh, Brendan Drake is the choreographer and the piece is called Community Exercises for Sanctuary Spaces. And it's like great dance, but also very funny and uh, pointed and uh, odd. And you should totally see it. Monday night is uh, an event. Uh, I think I'm going to that. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. Please do. Uh, Steve DeSiena will host uh, with uh, the eternal memory of our friend Steve Whalen, who passed away. Last week, sorry, it's going to be really a great event, and I love those guys. Uh, and uh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Uh, Wednesday, he's is... a really well loved comic. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I know a little bit about comedy, and you could just, you know, the the everybody was had such strong reactions to it. 